Am I working? Yeah. Hey. I asked Mick not to turn me on just now um, as I popped out something. So, um, I'm going to be speaking just from our um, wisdom series, next one, our wisdom series. Uh, and I'm going to be speaking from Proverbs 10, verse 11, which hopefully is going to appear behind me. And then it's hopefully going to just stay behind me the whole time. And this is for two reasons. Principally, I had not finished preparing in time to send uh, Paul all the other Bible verses that I'm going to mention. So I'm going to just be asking you to look them up and read them out. Um, and also, I feel like this morning it's going to be a bit of a kind of meditation on this verse. Now, irritatingly, I got uh, pretty much all the way through prepping and then realized in some versions of the Bible, the second part is translated slightly differently. Uh, so here we've got the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And if you've got uh, in the NOV, it might say violence covers the mouth of the wicked. But then it also says in a little footnote down, down the bottom that it says could also mean the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I'm going to speak in from this meaning. Um, and I just want to say that it's, uh, it's one, of the, one of the reasons also why we don't want to speak from um, proof text. You know, proof texting is picking one verse of the Bible and just taking it out of context and just building a theology on it. Um, hopefully everything that I'm going to say this morning, I believe everything I'm going to say this morning is kind of testified to by the whole Council of Scripture, and you're going to hear, um, I'm going to be reading from quite a few places in the Bible um, to kind of back up what I'm, I'm saying this morning, but I'm going to be going with this translation. I'm going to read it a couple of times. It's going to stay there. Um, it will be a kind of, would be kind of like a meditation almost on the meaning of that. So, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. One more time, just put my timer on because you would not want me to forget that. Okay. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the mouth and the way we use our speech. Some of you might be thinking, oh no. Um, first, I'd like to talk about a book called The Bee Who Loved Words. This is a children's book that we borrowed recently from the library with Bella. Um, and on the front of it, it says uh, this. It teaches us that words are powerful. Though she's, it's about a, a bee called Persephone who loved words and learned the power that words have. And it says on the front, though she's smaller than a flower, this bee knows that words have power. Vanessa was reading this to Bella, and Bella said, words don't have power. Vanessa said, I don't like you very much right now. Bella looks sad. And then Vanessa said, I think you're the most wonderful Bella in the whole world. And Bella looks happy, what we would call jammy. You know, just kind of happy, pleaser herself. And then she said, you, I'm sorry about this in church, you have a raspberry booby bottom face. And Bella fell about laughing with her, on her, her legs in the air, kicking around, because she found it so funny. And Vanessa said, see, words do have power. So I think this illustrates two things. And the first thing it illustrates is the pitfalls of having a teacher as a parent. <laughs> and the second is that words do, in fact, have power. So it's a silly example, but it's true. Words do have power. When I was younger, hopefully kids now don't hear this, but when I was younger and when a lot of you were younger, um, people said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never help me, which is absolute tosh, isn't it? That's, uh, that's rubbish. Um, words do have power. Many of us know that words do make a difference. So firstly, advertisers know it. 
So I'm going to test you on a few advertising slogans. One or two of these will kind of lean a bit for the older generation. So um, we'll see. Modern one, washing machines live longer with Calgon. Apparently that's probably not true. Um, a million housewives every day pick up a tin of beans and say, beans means Heinz. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. KFC, finger, looking good. Once you pop, Okay, that one wasn't so good because it was mixed, but you can't stop or you just can't stop. Advertisers know that words can be powerful, and that's why all the, in kind of the money going into the slogans. Um, how politicians know it as well, some historical examples. Um, a couple of American ones from World War II. We'll see if you know this one. Loose lips. Well, loose lips, it depends, there's a few, but loose lips might sink ships, or loose lips sink ships. Um, JFK, I ask not what, you can, what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. A bit of a dodgy Boston accent, that. Um, and in Britain, First World War, your country needs you. you. That was a really powerful one. Um, and then now we see things, don't we? Those kind of phrases like, me too, black lives matter, that carry a lot of weight for people. So... Um, and, th and then we know it personally in our own lives. We can, many of us, probably can think of times when words made a big difference to us for good and bad. There's a massive difference between telling a child, I'm proud of you and you're useless, or I love you and you can do it and you never amount to anything. That's a massive difference. The truth is, often the wounds that are caused by words are the ones that take the longest to heal. And the life-giving words can often have lifelong benefits. So we live in a universe in which just the way the universe is made, the fabric of the universe, words make a difference. Words can build up, words can tear down, words can give life, and words can bring death and destruction. Maybe this shouldn't be a surprise to us as Christians because God created the universe with words. Think about in the beginning. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The psalmist says, God commanded, he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. So God's words create, they bring order, they give life. God's words always accomplish their purpose. Think about that at the beginning of Genesis again. In the beginning, skip ahead a little, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. So there was formlessness, there was a lack of order, there was emptiness and there was darkness. But the spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. And then God spoke. He said, let there be light. God spoke and there was order, beauty, fullness and light. There was shapelessness, chaos emptiness and darkness and God spoke and there was form, order, beauty, fullness and light. So before we get into the rest of it, maybe your, uh, maybe your life feels a bit like the earth in the beginning, a bit disordered, a bit dark, a bit empty, but God can speak into your life too and that's for those that don't know Jesus yet and those of us who are, uh, are Christians, 
In Jesus, God speaks and accomplishes our salvation. In these latter days, he has spoken to us through his son. God's word is awesomely powerful. Our words are not. So our words are not like God's words. Words tumble out of our mouths, accomplishing nothing. This is definitely true for me. I'm a language teacher uh, in our department. There's a lot of words. But we are made in the image of God, and our words do have the ability to build up and tear down, to give life or to destroy. Um, I'm going to read from James 3, verses 1 to 10. Now, I apologize that this is going to stay there. The other verses are going to come up, but I'll, I'll reference some if you want to look them up yourselves. So I've got them written out of the back here. So James 3, verses 1 to 10. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Thanks, Steve, for inviting me to speak this morning. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. The Bible does not teach us that words are not important. If we go back to the verse we read from Proverbs, our verse for today, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Now, this is wisdom literature. Uh, the book of Proverbs, to borrow from Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, shows us how to live with the grain of the universe, not against the grain. We can live with the way that God's designed the universe or against the way that God's designed the universe. And wisdom is living in line with the way that God's designed things to be. Here in Proverbs 10, which is written hundreds of years before the book of James, passage from the James I read, we've got the first of a set of number of wise, uh, first of a number of wise sayings given by Solomon. They're attributed to Solomon. And they're kind of individual proverbs, but we do see some themes. And in chapter 10, we can see that quite a few of them refer to speech. So there's Proverbs 10 verse 6, 10 verse 8, 10 verse 11, which is our verse, 10 verse 13, verse 14, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, verse 31, and verse 32. And I'm going to read all of them. So if you want to turn to Proverbs 10, you can, but just, just listen and see the, see the pattern. 10 verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. See the echo with, with our verse there. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10 verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 13. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. Verse 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 20. 
The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. And the last one of the chapter, last verse of the chapter, 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. Okay, so it's clear that Solomon, at the time the wisest man on earth, thought that speech does matter. And did you notice these two characters that kept popping up? The righteous and the wicked. And they're clearly identifiable by the way that they use their mouths. It's like if I said, listen to Fred, Sorry, I've asked permission this, but um, a couple of people are a bit cheeky about Americans recently on the... Uh, and I'm just going to reassure my mother-in-law, I'm not going to do that. Okay, but as I said, talk to Fred, talk to Iris, listen to them both, and then tell me which one is American. We'd, we'd understand from the way they speak. Now, if you, don't know, uh, if you don't know Fred, I could confuse you by saying that he has a Bowling Green accent. <laughs> But that's Bowling Green, Kentucky. So, uh, but we know from the way they speak where they're from. Similarly, we know from the way people speak. We can know from the way people speak whether they're righteous or wicked. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. There's one thing I want to say twice. Your mouth is one of the best diagnostic tools of your inner spiritual condition. Your mouth is one of the best diagnostic tools of your inner spiritual condition. There's a difference between the speech of a righteous person and the speech of a wicked person. So I'd like to consider both briefly, and then I'd like to talk about how we can be like the righteous person and not like the wicked person. So firstly, the righteous. His mouth, or her mouth, is a fountain of life. The words of the righteous build up, they give life. They don't just sound positive or affirming, they actually give life. They actually do something good. And um, as Christians, we get the privilege of being able to speak life-giving words to people. We can encourage those who are struggling. We can challenge and correct those who are headed down a destructive path. We can speak hope to people who feel that all is darkness. We can speak truth in a world of lies, half-truths, fake news, post-truth, and propaganda. We can speak words of praise that honor God in a world that blasphemes his name. And ultimately, we can speak about Jesus and point to him as the source of life, hope, and salvation. What about the wicked? It feels like a bit of a non sequitur. That's for Bob, some Latin for Bob, because I know he loved it at school so much. Um, <laughs> we might expect the logic to go like this. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked is a fountain of death which sounds like the name of a metal band, doesn't it? Uh, but it doesn't say the mouth of the wicked is a fountain of death. It says, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I think there's a lack of truthfulness and integrity. Often when we're talking about wickedness, sometimes evil speech is clearly identifiable, clear violence and hatred. But sometimes there's a duplicitousness. Sometimes you can be wicked, but you can speak in a way that makes you look right. 
The righteous person speaks truthfully out of his or her inward identity. There's a consistency and integrity. The wicked speaks in a way that manipulates and conceals inner motives and intentions. So I think of Iago in Shakespeare's Othello. Um, Iago externally looks like a really dutiful servant. I did Othello at A-level like years and years ago, so I hope I'm remembering this right. Um, and the, he looks like he's serving his master, Othello, and acting in his interests. But actually, he's working to undermine him, and he ends up destroying him by making him believe a load of lies. He's a diabolical character, and he has this quote near the beginning. He says, to kind of signal to the audience what he's like, he says, I am not what I am. It's a kind of antichrist sort of character. The words of the wicked can seem nice, good, and helpful, but they conceal violence. And I'd like to think about a couple of types of speech that do this, um, which these are kinds of speech that are roundly condemned in Scripture. So let's just take, say firstly, lying. Lying is wrong. Um, white lies aren't a thing. God is a God of truth, not of deceit. Um, lying can make us look good. In fact, often the reason that people lie is so that we do look good because we don't want to we don't want to be caught out looking bad. So we might tell what we, a little white lie, but it's about our reputation. We look good on the outside, but actually we've committed sin. Gossip. Gossip can be a kind of violence against an individual's reputation, against an individual's standing in the community, and against the cohesion of the community itself. We cannot have a safe, cohesive, healthy community where gossip is rife. Just think about an example for me from work, and I'm not going to say names, but a few years ago I worked with someone who in a lot of ways was a great colleague, was a really good teacher, um, but just the way that she spoke about people when they weren't present was often very critical. And when I was there, she wasn't mostly speaking critically about me, she was mostly speaking critically about other people, but then you start to go, I don't know that I can trust this person, I'm pretty sure when I'm out of the room she's doing the same thing to me. And then lo and behold, one day I did hear that because I was in an adjoining room where you could hear through the next wall and you can hear what's being said. And it didn't make me feel good. And actually, when that person moved on, there were mixed feelings. But actually, some people felt a sense of relief, even though this was someone in lots of ways who was a really good colleague. Because they just know, actually, this, is not, this way of behaving has not been helpful for us. Gossip's also duplicitous. We say something behind someone's back that we might not say to their face. Slander's related to this. We do violence against a person's reputation and social standing. There is a time to speak up about injustice, but that's different. There might be a time where God's challenged us. We need to say something. We need to bring something out into light because it's, uh, it's unjust or it's harmful. Okay? If in church, we get a situation, we have a safeguarding concern. We need to speak about that to the right person. But that's different to passing on gossip because it kind of, you know, it goes down, it makes us feel happy, it makes us feel satisfied or um, something to talk about. Then there's flattery. Flattery, we speak overly positively to somebody in order to manipulate them for our benefit, to get them to do something for us, to get them to treat us a certain way, um, or maybe just to get them to like us. The thing with flattery is that your words sound like they're for the good of the person that's listening, but they're actually for your good. They're really intended for our own good to manipulate the person. They might actually be harmful for the listener who needs to hear 
something more truthful and honest about themselves. And then foolish talk. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 4, Paul says, Let there be no foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. The thing is, it's possible to talk foolishly, inappropriate joking, to lie to a certain degree, to gossip and flatter to a certain degree, maybe even to slander in certain contexts, and still be roundly seen by everybody as a nice person. But there's a difference between nice and good. Nice is not good, it's not the same thing. Do your words point to an inner life and goodness? Or do we use our words like fig leaves to cover up a less beautiful reality? I think we all do this to some degree. Jesus tells the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verse 27, that they are like whitewashed tombs. Think about that in the contrast with the right mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. He calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look clean and nice, but on the inside is death. It's possible to look really good to everybody on the outside, but not have life on the insides. Okay, so the more I've been speaking, the more I've seen faces kind of going. So one or two of you have been very smiley the whole way through, which is great. Um, but what if you're feeling challenged by this? So if you're feeling challenged by this, um, what's the solution? Well, hopefully, if you think to that, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. And what we just said there, that Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. The answer isn't to clean yourself up on the outside. That's being a whitewashed tomb. The, point, the right response of this sermon isn't to just go away and try to speak in a better way. I'm not trying to give a moral message about how to use your words well or be kind in the way that you speak. That's not the heart of this. So go back to the passage. You can see I keep repeating it, so I'm hoping, hopefully everyone's going to remember it today. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The righteous person, the truly righteous person, has life on the inside. This isn't just religious externalism. It's an inner life that wells up into godly, gracious, life-giving speech. Uh, I'm going to read from Luke 6. There's a couple of uh, three verses from Luke 6, verse 43 to 45. Um, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And in some translations you'll read, out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks. The answer isn't to clean up the outside, it's to have your heart changed from the inside. We'll read again from the Gospels, John 7. Jesus is at the Feast of Booths, and on the last day of the feast, he uh, stands up. Um, I'll, I'll read this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus doesn't say, 
come to me and I'll teach you how to behave. He doesn't say, come to me and I'll teach you how to act in a righteous way. He says, come to me and drink. He encourages us to come to him to drink of his life. He hasn't come to tidy us up and make us neat and religious. He's come to make us new. So that's good news for everyone because it's not just good news for the nice, neat, put-together people that seem like they don't have much to go, far to go. If anything, it's actually harder for the nice, neat, put-together people. It's harder for wealthier people, dare I say, because it's externally easier to seem nice, to seem like we're kind of pretty much there, and harder to admit our needs. That might be one reason why Christianity has always disproportionately drawn the poor and the marginalized. We all need to come to Jesus to have life. We just don't all recognize it. Here's the deal that he offers us. Come to him, bring him your sin, and he will forgive you. He was punished on the cross so that you could be forgiven. Bring him your death, and he will give you his life. He died and rose again so that you could be raised from the dead with him. Bring him the primordial chaos of your life, and he will shape it and bring form and order to it. Bring him the emptiness of your life, and he will fill it. Bring him the darkness of your life, and he will speak life into it. He will take your hard, stony heart, thinking of Ezekiel, and replace it with a living heart of flesh. He will put his Holy Spirit in you so that his life will be in you and flow out of you and well up to eternal life. The answer isn't to clean yourself up. The answer is to come to Jesus and ask him to give you life. So I want to end. I'm nearly there. Nearly there. Um, just want to end with some plumbing. Right? We've got the picture of the fountain of life. Um, so maybe your fountain isn't looking quite the way that you wish it did. We're going to try and diagnose some issues um, so then we can take them to Jesus to ask him to repair us. So if your words aren't consistently life-giving, why is it? Is it possibility one? Because you need to come to Jesus for the first time to receive his life. Have you done that in the past? And you'll call yourself a Christian. But maybe the flesh is getting in the way. Because the truth is, if we're Christians, God's given us a new heart, but we still inhabit the same flesh, and we still inhabit the same sinful world with the same bad devil that tricks us and lies to us. And we give in to temptation. It's a battle. We can give in to temptation and let our words get polluted. See, um, Whilst this is about having life within us that is bubbling out, I don't want us to think that we don't have to do anything. Just say whatever comes to mind. We have a choice, and we need to choose to be disciplined with the way that we speak. We need to hold our tongue sometimes. And other times we need to speak up. Perhaps you have Jesus' life in you. Perhaps you aren't somebody who gossips, slanders, lies. Perhaps... If you look at your words, I'm sure we could all find fault with stuff, but perhaps it's pretty clean. 
the way you speak, and that's great. That's wonderful. It's evidence of Jesus sanctifying you uh, by his Holy Spirit. But maybe the issue for some of us is people aren't hearing life-giving words from us enough because we're blocking the exit. So maybe we're with people and the words want to come up and we want to say, I'll pray for you, like Steve was sharing in the prayer group. We want to say, do you know, actually, I believe God can help that. Jesus can, Jesus can help you with that. But we just don't. This is, this is me, definitely. Um, even this morning at one point. Um, we keep biting our tongue because we're worried about what will happen if we speak openly. Now, there's wisdom, there's discernment, but some of us, we know honestly, there's situations where we have the opportunity, God gives us the opportunity to speak up, and we go, we kind of plug the fountain, and we go, and the water's trying to come out, but it, it just can't. Okay, so there are three categories. Do you need to come to Jesus to have life for the first time? Do you need to repent of the way that you've been speaking? Maybe one of those things I mentioned earlier, particular kind of speech, there was something that you just felt a bit challenged about. There's grace. Repentance isn't kind of beating yourself up. We know that Jesus was punished for us. Jesus took the consequence for us so that we can just turn back to him and find his forgiveness. Or do we need to ask God to give us grace to be a little bit bolder, a little bit more open? I'm not talking about being salespeople. So I'm not talking about being sales reps. One of the reasons why I couldn't be a sales rep or would hate it as a job is because you know, sometimes I'm sure these sales reps don't always believe in the product. But they're able to go, hey, you need this. You should spend your money on this. I'd say, I couldn't do that. I'd be thinking, you shouldn't spend your money on this. It's, you just should, should waste it. And I'm not talking about being salespeople for the gospel. I'm not talking about kind of going out and having a particular pitch that we do. I mean, it's, our heart's not in it, but we're just thinking, I've got to do it, or God's going to be really cross on me that I'm not sharing the gospel enough. I think we're talking about having God's life in us and wanting to share that with other people. But maybe we need, I need to ask God to help us be a little bit braver when the opportunity comes. Okay. Um, so I'm going to ask Steve to come back up. Is that what we're doing? Steve, leave in a second. And just kind of a few prayer points. I've got, um, I've got three or four prayer points I just want to put out there. I just encourage you. Um, we might, might stand and pray together, but this is an environment where it's... Um, it's kind of safe to ask people to pray. So if you know somebody um, that you'll be happy to ask them to pray, pray for you, you could do that. Um, at the end of the service, last week, Mick really kind of, was it last week? I've lost track. It was just so many weeks. Mick really beautifully modeled kind of going and standing over the side and saying, look, I'd like some prayer. Okay, and we'll, we'll kind of make that option available as well. Um, and you can engage your God personally where you are. There's sort of three or four things that I think I just want to, sort of put out there for you to think about if this is you. Um, the first, hopefully, this has been clear, anyone who wants to receive Jesus' life in their heart for the first time, speak to somebody today. Anyone who wants to be released from harmful words spoken over them in the past. So I mentioned that earlier on, I just, I don't know if that may have touched a nerve with some people. Um, but God's word is authoritative. God has the final words. What he speaks over your life is the truth, and it's the final word that trumps every other word. Um, and if you're carrying things, then that's something we can, we can bring to God and we can, we can bring to the church in prayer. And then anyone who wants grace to speak in a more life-giving way, so that could be because of the way you're using your voice, you feel maybe it's not honoring God always, um, or it could be because you just want that courage to speak more openly. 
I'm just going to pray for us and then hand over to Steve. Yeah, Father, thank you that you're gracious. Um, the takeaway here isn't learn how to be a good person and maybe when you've used your words well enough and you've acted, you've behaved well enough for long enough, then I'll accept you and put life in you. But we come to you knowing that we're broken. We come to you knowing that we're moral failures, all of us. And so we just bring that to you this morning, Lord. I just ask for your grace. Lord, we ask for your mercy and we ask for your grace. Lord, you know what we need before it evens on our mouth. And Lord, you know what I need this morning and you know what every one of my brothers and sisters here needs to know this morning. And I just pray for, for grace, Lord, in your name. You come and meet with us um, as we go into worship and communion. You'll be with us and you'll um, continue to work, Father. Just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.